Welcome to episode five of The Boost with our guest, Avivit Fisher from Red Strategy. Let's go. All right. Welcome to episode five of The Boost. And I'm so happy to be here with Avivit Fisher from Red Strategy. She's the principal and marketing strategist at Red Strategy. Avivit, it's good to see you again. How are you? Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here, Steve. It's good to see you too. Uh, can't believe we're going to see each other in person in September again. I'm <laughs> looking I forward know. to it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. We uh, we got to see each other in November, I think was the last time at the Mental yeah. Health Marketing Conference. You were a speaker. You did a great job talking about marketing to people with trauma and since that time, our audience has grown a lot. So maybe we talk a, a little bit about that um, in addition to uh, bringing you back this year to talk about people, profit, and promotion and some of the synergies there. So um, I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you on the show here. Episode five, we're smooth sailing. And um, before we kind of launch into that, uh, I do want to jump into what we do every time with every guest, which is the virtual hug and the shameless plug. So the virtual hug is just a moment of gratitude. We'll start there. Tell us, tell me something or somebody you're thankful for today. Oh my God, there's so much. I'm thankful for, like right now I'm looking at the window and I see green trees and spring and warmer weather. And I'm just thank, thankful for that. I'm done with, with, the, with the winter. I can't handle <laughs> winter anymore. Yeah, I think my last two or three guests have said almost the exact same answer, and I'm right there. <laughs> I always, and I've always think of uh, Louis Armstrong's It's a Wonderful World, like that song plays in my head, because it's so beautiful. I'm looking out a, a similar window, and it's just, just gorgeous outside. It's green everywhere. So, yeah, that's a wonderful thing to be grateful for. Yeah, and it's very um, relatable, right? It's very universal. Yeah, we're all going through it. Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, get into the shameless plug. You're doing beautiful work around marketing strategy and, and helping private practices and therapists get better about what they're doing. And it always comes best coming from you. So, so brag a little bit about the work you're doing and what's going well for you. Sure. So I founded my consultancy, Red Strategy. And I'm currently working only with the private practice owners. I help therapists who are building a private pay caseload or transitioning from insurance to private pay, a lot of them to attract clients to their private practice and build a thriving business. So I really focus, I, I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one. I coach and I consult and I focus on strategy, like the name of my company suggests, and that goes basically to the basics of marketing figuring out your niche, figuring out your therapy brand and your main message, and then figuring out the plan to attract clients. And so the plan can be very specific, step-by-step -step plan. So I really enjoy this work because, you know, there's such a vast need for therapy. And when my clients come to me and they're kind of like sometimes feel discouraged about the fact that they can't attract clients, I'm like, I'm just so excited for them. I'm like, you, you don't understand. 
it's everywhere. You will attract clients, you will bring them in because unlike with any other business, you don't have to prove that the audience needs it. You don't have to prove the need, like the need is there, it's available. So that's what I do. I also try as much as possible through the content that I create. So I write a weekly newsletter called Therapy Business Brief. And the concept behind was behind it was, you know, I want to sh- show therapists, um, first of all, it, it, I source the most interesting content and news that is re- relevant to the business of therapy and relevant to mental health. And I kind of want to sort of connect the dots to show the business opportunities based on what's happening around them. So I really enjoy doing that. And I also give a little bit of marketing advice every issue I send out. Um, so that, that's been a very exciting part of my work. It's so great because a lot of therapists or private practice owners, well, a lot of owners do have some skepticism around profit or sort of a lack of belief that they could fill up their books and their calendars with private pay clients. And not to say that's for everyone, but if that's the way you Mm want to go, you get excited when people come to you sort of with that doubt in their head, because you know the path forward from a a strategy perspective. And you are, you are very much positioned as a upfront strategist where, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. you're giving them the giving them the tools that they can then go execute some parts of that. Um, But that's neat to see and hear because, you know, it's more than, it's more than marketing strategy. It's, it gets into market strategy upstream. We were talking about earlier, is there a, is there a, a a method to your name, red strategy? I mean, it sticks in my mind. I mean, the color is powerful and you use it in your logo, Mark, but is there a strategy to how you named your company? Oh boy. So I, um, I was really agonizing over a name when I started because, so I come from the marketing background and everything. And I just wanted, I just wanted it to be the right name. And I probably shouldn't have spent as much time as I did, but I, uh, I wanted it to represent my process really. And red stands for research, evaluate, define, and design. And this is the process that I go through with really with everyone and with myself as well when I'm when I've been building my business. And um red is my favorite color accidentally. And I have two redheaded boys. So like it's it's, it's in it your just life. made a perfect sense for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. I think there's a big color theory around uh, you know, the colors that we choose. So it, it makes sense. What about when, um, what about when you're doing that for another company or, you know, maybe they just need to do it themselves. You had a great LinkedIn post, uh, just recently about sort of naming a pra- a private practice and that that can take a long time, uh, but it's, it's worth it. And you talked about envisioning the future and defining what you'd like to be known for. Mm-hmm. What what are some of the the quick tips for somebody who's maybe trying to do that on their own? There's probably somebody right now who this weekend is, you know, chewing up, chewing on a name. But what would you recommend they do? Well, first, really envisioning the future is important because 
I know um, I, I've heard stories of people naming their private practice after their own name, and then mm-hmm. they try to sell their private practice, and then it becomes complicated, right? So if you want to sell your business in the future, or maybe if you don't know where it's going to take you, probably staying away from your name is a smart idea. On the other hand, if you are trying to build your own authority, if you're really building a personal brand, it might make sense for you to really uh, name your practice uh, based on your personal name. Um, So that's a step one. And I think people don't dedicate a lot of time to thinking about something like this. And then people tend to like fall in love with a concept or a name without really trying to understand what they would like to be known for, because it's scary because to understand what you would like to be known for, it means that you need to kind of uh, think about your niche or think about the perception that you want to have in the area. But a simple way to approach that, like, for example, if you are a therapist in a, you know, not a big urban area, like maybe in a small town or in a rural area, maybe you want to be known as the local therapist. So maybe mm-hmm. the location where you are, um, where you live um, has a big, you know, uh, is a big part of your brand. Um, or maybe if you are working with a certain method, that can be a big part of your brand. So really trying to understand what you would like to be known for. And really remember that, you know, your name is not just the name on your business card and your name is not just the name on on the door of your office. It's also online. And as much as it's like jumping forward a few steps, being specific is important online for your SEO, being specific um, so people understand online because the, you know, the attention span is small and the algorithms are kind of like trying to figure out how to rank your page based on relevance, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so that's an important thing. In, in that way, actually, I think that um, either location or a specialty wins, right? Mm. Uh, and then there's a category of being metaphorical, right? Like a, a, a beautiful metaphor, like maybe you fall in love with that, and which is fine as well. But, you know, you have to understand what would be the shortcomings. It might, you know, uh, of that people would perceive it the way they would perceive it. You have no control over that. So mm-hmm. naming a private practice should be much less of an emotional um, thing and more of a, you know, analytical strategic thing. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Metaphors can mean all sorts of things. Words get really fuzzy and cloudy pretty quickly. So, yeah, the metaphor situation can easily sound like a, a spa or something, you know, very quickly um, in terms right. of the words, even the even some of the clear words like wellness that, you know, we're using today. Like it's very murky. Um, and that's a great point, too, about deciding how much you're building a private or how much you're building a personal brand in terms of your name. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be authoring books or doing speaking tours. So thinking as far down the road as you can about what's the end game. And is this a company I want to sell someday? Or, um, you know, is this going to just be something that's in the family forever? And, you know, we're all, we're all going to be doing this um, as long as we can foresee. So yeah, that that's all helpful. And 
and not surprising coming from a marketing strategist like you that you have some some good tips um and you've been doing this 10 years um at least under red strategy um just about 10 years and you know i think i didn't name this conference that i do uh the mental health marketing conference but it's a it's certainly a clear name it is very niche yeah uh, and and that's a good thing because when people are looking for um, conferences around marketing and mental health, bam, we show up. And we used to own like the first two pages of Google. And I still want to show up in Google. But I'm also celebrating that there is a lot of money being spent on those keywords on mental health marketing these days, from a lot of different types of creative agencies and other organizations who uh, have noticed the the need and the demand. So it's, it's actually something I celebrate because we're you know, we're still growing at a, a really healthy clip um, and we're here just to support the industry. So to see people outspending on on SEM and, and Google AdWords and things like that is great. Um, what have you noticed? Like what's over that sort of arc of time? What if we, you looked back when you started and now what's the big macro sort of changes or trends that you uh, that you weren't seeing back then that you are seeing now? Like where, where do we really need to be thinking differently compared to when you started? Yeah. So I actually found mental health marketing conference by accident because so I didn't start red strategy with an idea of working with therapists only. I wanted to work with service uh, businesses, but I didn't. I, I only later decided to focus on therapists. Uh, but when I was contemplating uh, working with therapists specifically, I I I had a kind of a hunch that it would be a, a a good move for me. I thought that there was going to be a good opportunity, but I really needed to validate this <laughs> this idea. So mm -hmm. this is where your conference came into play because I remember I was looking for, you know, I was like, I, uh, there are other people that must be doing stuff like this. So there are some people that were talking about marketing in the mental health space, and there were private practitioners who have successfully built their practices, and they were teaching other private practitioners about that but it was not like there was not so much competition so i was feeling like i was kind of uh you know I, I i didn't see a lot of competition there so i went and i was like well if there's in a lot of competition it can mean two things right it, it's either it's not needed or it's just very new so i saw the webs the website for your conference and i booked a flight and i went as an as a like an, an attendee because i wanted to I wanted to see what it was about and learn. And I, I got there and I heard speakers and some of the speakers are, you know, I stood out to me a lot. Uh, and I thought, well, this, there's a huge potential here. So when I went there first, I, I, I would say it's almost five years ago. Mm -hmm. In the five years, it went from a big potential to something that is viable. And a lot of people are talking about it. And a lot of people are, you know, um, sort of shifting from, you know, serving like small business owners or general markets to specifically mental health. Um, and as I'm writing my newsletter every, every week, I read a lot of articles. Like this is the process I go through. I like, I go through a lot and I see the changes and there's a lot of innovation and COVID was very instrumental in, in that, I think, um, because it brought a lot of awareness and everything. And also the fact that uh, telehealth became such uh, an important 
part of it because before it was sort of like some people, some therapists did telehealth, some didn't, but now it's just much more available. And um, I think there are a lot of startups that saw an opportunity with that there, right? So there's a lot of business opportunities. So I, I've seen it grow a lot um, mm-hmm. from when I started, really. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's also, or related to that, there are a ton of niches popping up as we get smarter about what mental health means and as we're more nuanced about what it means. So Mm -hmm. I'd say, yeah, five years ago, 10 years ago, we're probably talking about talk therapy, you know, and now there are apps and telehealth and tech companies, and there are also coaches that, you know, there are also uh, you know, clinicians and providers who are pivoting to different types of models um, based on just the acuity of care that's maybe needed or, you know, sort of the the spectrum between mental illness and mental health and and what all of that means. Mm-hmm. And and you're a you're a component of that where you're helping specific owners and, and providers find the right niche for where they want to practice. And and we can't solve everything as much as we'd want to. So you know, you have to kind of make your best decisions about how I can, how can I make an impact in the world? And and how am I going to position my brand appropriately to do that? And, and, and so there's an amazing wave of, of new companies, um, private equity money, of course, and tech, in addition mm-hmm. to consumer products. I mean, uh, even, even like consumer goods, like foods and mood shoes and all sorts of different things that are, are benefiting from yeah. a mental health approach to their marketing. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, the awareness has grown immensely that I, mm-hmm. I would say, um, and people are seeing the opportunity. And I think that there's going to be even more happening with AI developing so fast and, um, I've been reading actually before we got on about the, the, a few articles about the the role uh, of AI that's going to play in um, psychiatry specifically and how it's going to help develop more specific uh, ways of treatment. So we'll see. We'll see where it's going to go. But I think that there's there's going to be huge growth in the next ten years for sure. Mm. Uh, I'm still learning about it. I yesterday. Honestly, I did my first chat GPT experience and it was so amazing. I mean, I tried to give it a really good prompt and in 10 seconds, it wrote this LinkedIn post for me that I shared out and I didn't say it was written by chat GPT. I just wanted to put it out in the wild. But internally, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you just wrote me five compelling paragraphs and I read it closely. Like I love to write and I love to edit. So I thought, surely I'm going to have to really tweak this. And, you know, a few Mm -hmm. words, a few additions. I did a second prompt that was better, but that was on me. It was, it was incredible. Do you have a, do you want to talk AI a little bit? Do you have a hot take on, on where you think it's going to go or where do you think it is right now? Because people are still just dipping their toe into it like me. Listen, I'm no expert, but I've been using AI a little bit for content because I use a tool called Uber Suggest, uh, which is uh, owned by Neil Patel. He has an SEO agency. And um, so I use it for SEO. um, And he's had an AI tool there for, uh, I don't know, at least for the last six months. Uh, And 
when I am sort of um, stuck with figuring out an outline for an article, um, you know, I just put in the keyword and just like it spouts out the different titles and whatever. And it writes it for me, but I don't use the writing itself. I use it as an inspiration more than anything because Mm -hmm. it's still it's still a little bit, you know, generic when it comes out. Um, I use chat GPT only once. Um, just out of curiosity. Um, the one thing, I, I think I wrote about it last um, week in my newsletter, that it's it's an interesting thing that some people, and, and there's also a threat in, in, in AI, right? So some people are starting to use um, chat GPT as a therapist, right? So they write a prompt and then like wait for a response. Hmm. And there's a lot of danger in that. So I'm, you know, in every innovation, I think there's always unintended consequences. <laughs> so uh-huh. there's a lot of great like things that yeah. can simplify your life, but there's a lot of like danger. So I am trying to look at AI somewhat up opt- cautiously and optimistically at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be interesting what it's going to take. I think there's going to be a lot of applications um, in in healthcare that's going to be that are going to be very interesting, um, and you know we'll see. Right now it's such a it's such a new thing. It's it, it reminds me. I don't know if you've seen the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix. It was no. like ten years ago. No, I know what you you're should about. see it. It's okay. Yeah. It's, I remember I saw it and I was like, and it was like 2013 or 14 or something like this. And so every time I read about AI, I just like, I have flashbacks from this, from this yeah, movie. You have flashbacks. Like it's basically a, a person falls in love with an, um, with an AI, you know, software, like, or operating system that's on their phone. And it's just amazing. And I, and I, it just reminds, it just, the whole conversation reminds me of that, to be honest. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I'll have to watch that. I don't want to spoil it for people. I'm curious how it ends and and how, it, what the story is. My, uh, when I think about AI and I also use it in this podcast. So I, we use Riverside FM and then I throw it over to a service called Descript and, you know, mm-hmm. in a minute or two, it, it'll transcribe our entire conversation and, uh, I'll be curious if it gets Avi Veet right. I hope it does. Um, I may have to, you know, okay. edit, edit a couple of things here or there. It gets 80, 90% of it pretty, pretty great. And, and to your point, you know, um, about your writing, you, you may use the AI prompt or, or the AI response as inspiration for what you're actually writing. And that gets into, uh, you know, the optimist perspective in me, which is that, it may even make uh, human human art more valuable, you know, because you do have that infusion of your own voice and some way to authenticate mm-hmm. that. Um, but I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, I think there were some deep fakes of songs that were that sounded like Drake the other day that got millions mm-hmm. of views, and and oh, so wow. it's like, well, if it if it works, you know, um, my, my guess is that, and this will really date me, but, um, my guess is that AI ends up like the character data on Star Trek. Remember him? <laughs> like, I, I didn't really watch Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. It's such a random, it's such a deep cut, but he's, you know, is this, 
it's like basically robotic, you know, autonomous human and, you know, it can do everything, process everything, always has all the information, can spit it out to Captain whoever, Captain Kirk or whoever it is. I don't remember all the details, but the point is, uh, you know, there's it gets to the point where uh, can this can this person, can this uh, entity, this being fall in love? And, you know, that's sort of where things fall apart sometimes. So we'll see. Yeah. If it's her or Star Trek, we'll we'll see what unfolds. But it's been interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's useful. There's a lot of applications. So uh, pivoting away from AI, I want to talk about something in your life, which is um, mm-hmm. there's kind of two things that are that are and aren't connected, but we're going to connect them. So you talk a little bit about branding as a way to prevent burnout or career burnout. And that's an oversimplification mm-hmm. that you can get into. Uh, and then you also had a pivotal moment in your life um, with a fire. And um, you know, I was, as I was doing homework and research on your perspective and your story, um, I don't, I don't know if maybe you could tell a little bit about that experience as, as it relates to this idea of sort of the Phoenix rising, you know, like sometimes things in our life burn down. And we talked a lot about career burnout last year and it, and it continues. Um, you had a personal experience that hopefully you could share a little bit about, um, but in my mind, it kind of it's, it's kind of connected for how we can move through adversity and even some of our trauma and and hopefully move forward in some way. So I would just throw that to you for sort of whatever reaction you have or want to share. Right. So the the event that you're talking about is a house fire that I went through in 2015. Um, that actually put a pause in my business and made me reevaluate everything. And I talked about this event in the presentation of, in the conference in November. Um, and I sort of through the lens of this event, I walked uh, the audience through a, um, a, about how to create a, a message, a marketing message that would resonate with people who have gone through a traumatic event or trauma in general. And, you know, after I lost everything, it it was, I did see it as something that happened. I didn't relate the word trauma to it, but it was a devastating moment for me and my family. I lost everything. Um, I used to be a graphic designer and I started a long time ago and I had a portfolio that my whole portfolio burned down. So I had no work oh, left. Yeah. And I was, I was in that moment. I was like, all right what do I go from this? So basically, yeah, I have my degree. I have my experience, but like as a, you know, as a designer, somebody who worked in marketing, I don't have anything to show for it. And I sort of had to reinvent myself. And then the way it connected to mental health is that I, at some point realized that I needed help to process everything that happened. And I was looking for, I went on Google, like everybody does. Right. And I was looking for, you know, started with tips of how to process uh, emotionally uh, a fire. Um, it's a very specific event. So um, I was hoping I would find something. I didn't find anything um, really. And this is what I was like, well, the light bulb went up, uh, turned on. And I was like, if I'm looking for something like this um, and I'm looking for specific answers, I'm looking for somebody to help me and I can't find it. There must be a lot of other people. 
And so I went on, you know, I started looking for a therapist and the therapists were, the, they were talking, I didn't know how to distinguish like who would be good for me or like what would make sense for me. I didn't relate to the word trauma as I didn't think of myself as being traumatized. For me, trauma was like, I don't know, war, mm. rape, like something that's very, very incredibly tragic and, and, and dramatic. So, and, and, you know, so I started, you know, toying with this idea of like, well, therapists, they need help representing themselves because they need to attract people who need help. And I love the idea of using my skills and experience of, you know, helping in general. Like I, was like, I wasn't going to become a therapist. So I was like, if, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to do marketing, I'd rather work with businesses that actually do good in the world um, as opposed to sell packaged goods, right? So this is how it all started for me. Um, so when it comes to burnout, it's a little bit similar in a sense that you get to a point of It kind of like you don't see a way out you're so burned out you you just you just stuck it's it's not really like a fire you lose everything you don't necessarily lose everything but you lose kind of the sense of what's next mm -hmm. and it happens a lot to people when they're really overworked and stressed and what i notice with therapists and if you talk to therapists who work in agencies and if you talk to therapists who um you know, have full caseloads because they accept insurance. They they burn out very quickly because they they see a lot of people, and the people that they see, um, they don't have control over who they want to work with because they want to help everyone. So everybody who comes in their door, um, they accept it because they can pay their fee, fees and they have to sustain uh, their business or get the salary. The difference between that. And um, private pay, in my opinion, is private pay, you have to market. So when you're marketing, you have much more control of, first of all, how you represent yourself, who you are trying to at attract, because everybody has somebody that they like to work with more. I like working with therapists. Therapists, some therapists like working more with couples. Others like working more with like children or it can be as specific as, you know, millennial women. I don't know, whatever it is. And when you start digging deep, um, you understand that when you work with people that you enjoy working with, you know, your satisfaction is higher. Um, and, you know, you can charge the rates that, that are fair to you and to the client. Um, and I, I believe that the outcomes can be better as well. So it's not that it's going to prevent burnout, but it's going to help you reduce a potential burnout in the future. Mm -hmm. So I don't yeah. know if it makes sense what I'm yeah. saying. That makes a lot of sense. And you're, you know, you're doing it as a way to, you have to, you have to care for yourself as one of the parties in the relationship. If you're going to really be engaged as a, you know, a therapist, let's say you have to, you have to care for yourself. And it does take me down a road that let's say as a country, we're going to need to do a better job of the safety net that's available for the most complex 
sort of rising risk cases around mental illness. And I don't know, there, there's certainly people out there who that, that is the segment that they want to work. And that's where they get their maybe life joy or meaning or professional meaning. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I applaud that. And it's also, it's also very taxing work because, you know, as, as the provider, you're in that relationship and you're, you know, you try to keep yourself out of the room, um, in some mm-hmm. strategies, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't always happen in terms of just what you're hearing and dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So I would love for us to, to see a better safety net being woven for, for those cases. And then to do the work that you're saying exactly, which is, yeah, position yourself in a way that you can do your best and highest work, um, you know, with the people you want to work with. Uh, I don't think it's selfish. I, I have that. I have that affinity toward people I work with and I'm very intentional about it. I want to, you know, I've worked with all sorts of kinds of people in corporate roles and creative agencies and healthcare firms. And, and you just start to see and find the people that maybe resonate with you and, and vice versa. So, I mean, I think that's such a, I think that's such a valid um, strategy to take into a really long-term game of what am I going to do? you know, kind of nine to five for a good chunk of my life. Right. And, you know, there's no, I don't think that there is no, you know, you can look at it as something noble to give all of yourself and, and, you know, and to give to as many people and everybody deserves mental health um, help. I believe. I also think that there's a lot of therapists that are leaving the profession because of burnout. So mm-hmm. that is, at the end, it's a disservice to the to the to the to the whole population. Right. So, you know, you can look at your career in stages. Maybe like when you're young and you're full of energy and full of this idealistic um, feeling, you can dedicate yourself much more wholly. But maybe later, it's okay for you to say, "All right, so now I'm going to work with only a specific population, a specific issues." And, um, you know, and, and there are practical things too, like student loans, you have to repay them. Like you have to sustain your lifestyle. You have to, you know, feed your family. That's an important thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a, there's a marathon metaphor in here. Uh, I don't know if you've done any long distance running, but certainly the simple one is that, you know, a sprint is very different than a marathon, but the more, the more nuanced Mm -hmm. take is that the number one mistake people make when they're running a marathon is that they go out too fast in the first half. Right. You know, and so that's a perfect analogy for for burnout. If you're to your point, if you're if you're simply running yourself ragged the first half of the race, you're going to get to that wall. You're going to hit the wall and the second half of the race is is going to be extremely difficult and probably not your best time because we're just not caring for ourselves in the run. So I agree with you. I, I, you know, it's noble to do our our best work. It's noble to do difficult things and to tackle obstacles. And at the same time, you have to have the energy and the pace to to do that on a regular basis because that's that's life. Life is full of that. Right. And this is um, these are the this is how I look at 
any business and therapy business too, you really have three main resources that you have to consider. It's your time, it's money, and it's your energy. And they're all finite mm -hmm. and you have to really balance them out. Like, and, and in some, uh, sometimes you have to throw more money at a, at a project mm -hmm. or, the, or, the, or the time of your life. Sometimes it's more time. Um, if when you're starting out, maybe you don't have a lot of money. And so it's your time and energy. So you really have to think about those resources really. And, and everything stems from there. This is how I look at, look at my own um, life. Cause I understand that, you know, energy is something that you have to use sparingly. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's, that's kind of similar to what you were saying about the sprint and a long distance run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use a, I use another sort of analogy of, I call it old man basketball. Like when I was young, I used to like dribble drive right through the lane and, and, you know, bang bodies and rebounds. And now it's, now it's like a little head fake, <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's an <laughs> efficient use of the energy. So I don't know, we, we learn, we get, we get wiser as we go along. Hopefully, hopefully we get wiser as we go along. Um, so related to this, I took, just took a note on time, money, energy. There's a lot there. And one thing I want to make sure we get to before we wrap is a similar concept is a perfect transition into people, profit and promotion, which you're going to be talking about, mm -hmm. um, at this year's conference. Talk, a, talk a little bit about the specifically the synergy between people and profit. And this is all interconnected. Um, but talk a little bit about your perspective on that, that you're going to bring to this year's conversation. So the the concept uh, concept of people and profit uh, really stems from uh, my uh, grad school year. So I studied design management, and it was really um, the philosophy behind it was really that the, for for a business to be sustainable, you have to have three components um, equally. Three components are equally impo important: people, profit, and planet. So, you know, and, and we were talking more about uh, businesses that maybe manufacturing businesses. So you have to be sustainable environmentally. But when I take it to um, the business of therapy, to the mental health, obviously planet is less relevant. But I do see there, that there's this tendency to say people above profit. Well, I don't believe that people above profit is is a sustainable um, formula for your business, for your, uh, for your private practice, because, you know, uh, unless you're a nonprofit, right? For a profitable mm -hmm. business, it has to be people and profit because they're so closely related because you, 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 you know, just let's take a, a private practitioner, solo practitioner as an example. If you are constantly thinking about only as taking as many clients as you want and you're sort of like constantly offering sliding scale and you can't, you know, you can't continue for a long time because your business is not going to be sustainable. Then you're going to be doing basically uh, therapy almost for free mm -hmm. and you will you will be burning out in the process. So when you are creating, when you're creating your business, when you're designing your business, it's really important to understand that the people and you are part of the people category, right, is equally important as profit. Because without the profit, 
your business is going to be unsustainable. Um, you're going to burn out. You're going to close. You're going to leave the profession. Um, and people who would be your clients will be suffering because they will have less access to mental health help. Uh, and when it comes to a, a component of promotion, um, I think, you know, without promotion, there is no there is no business really, right? So it, it doesn't matter who does the promotion. Either it's um, um, insurance company uh, in some way, or it's you who are doing a promotion, right? So I am very excited about talking about this topic because they're all so connected, and I just want to connect the dots between everybody's uh, between everything, so people will kind of um, stop thinking in this people first. Um, way because it sounds very noble and it sounds like it's the right thing to do, mm. but I just don't believe that it's sustainable. Mm -hmm. So that's my take on it. Gotcha. And there's something there about, about scarcity too, you know, the belief in what probably most therapists, I would say, try to help their customers or their clients, their patients see which is the, the beauty of life and the amazing opportunities in front of you that you can and should pursue. And, you know, I can't, I can't reduce it enough to say that every business should be profitable. Of course not. You know, there's lots of different motives and different people out there doing different things. But, but the point of profitability as a noble means to sustaining what you're building, helping as many people as possible, um, putting yourself in a, in a position to succeed at what you're building for yourself. Uh, I, th I think that's noble. And I think it's a, a bright, a bright spot of what you're bringing to people who are either transitioning away from maybe the health insurance strategy into private pay or people who are private pay now and just don't quite have the strategy yet of, you know, how to fill up their books and their calendars the way they want. So yeah, I love, I love the work you're doing and uh, excited to see you again in September and, uh, and learn more from you. So um, thanks for doing that. And thanks for being on with me today. This has been a really fun conversation. Um, one, one last thing to ask you, um, and you can go anywhere you want with it. What are you, what's something you're either reading or listening to like a, a book or a podcast or a, a song or an album, any, anything like that? What's some, what's some content you're taking in? Oh boy. Um, I, well, th first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really, it was really a pleasant, a very nice conversation. And, um, I'm glad we got to talk about these topics. What I'm, um, I am lately heavily interested in finances. So mm -hmm. I am listening to a podcast. I'm going to tell you, I'm, I've been binging. It's a new podcast. Mm -hmm. um, it's the Morgan Housel podcast. And he wrote the book, The Psychology of Money. I was just going to mention that. Such a good book. Yeah. So I, I haven't read the book yet, but I heard him on another podcast and I just got, I just really enjoy what he was saying. So I've been, I've been listening to a lot of that. And um, I think that finances, finances fascinate me in general. Um, I think 
if this is this is part of what I'm going to be talking to about profit and and things like that. And I think that um, therapists could really benefit from really shifting their mindset to, towards accepting that part of their business, the financial part of their business. And um, I just I just think that it's it's an important part of our lives and we, we don't need to be embarrassed about it. So I really enjoy that. Mm hmm. Yeah. Money has so many hooks in it, so many emotional hooks from growing up and, and how our parents process money and, and sort of that uh, healthy, healthy relationship with money or sort of the residue and the funk that we can get from money. Yeah. The psychology of money. What I'm, I'm forgetting the author's name. What's his name? Do you have it? Um, I'll tell you Morgan. Housel, I think I'm pronouncing it yeah. right. But. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that changed. That totally changed my mindset about money. I actually want to read it again. And now I'm going to go look him up on the podcast world side of things because I would love to hear from him on a regular basis. But yeah, the book is fantastic, too. I'd, I'd highly recommend that. And, um, you know, maybe next time we talk, you also had a great point on LinkedIn about the summer slump and you know what what therapists and offices might experience in the summer months and and i know you're out there with some great ideas on how to make the most of that time and probably the financial component is one of that and marketing strategy is is some of that mm -hmm. so i would just encourage anybody who's listening to to look up aviveet for the for that um those resources too, in addition to all the marketing strategy and, and digital marketing strategy that you offer. So with that, I guess we'll wrap up. It's, it's been a treat. It's been a real joy to talk with you, Avi Veet. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care.